Amen. What a joy and what a great blessing it has been for me to watch Jada grow up and, and now made her uh, decision, her commitment to Jesus public. What a, what a great privilege. You know, this is the fifth Sunday that we are having baptisms, fifth Sunday in a row that we've had baptisms. And we already have one scheduled for next Sunday, our, our cello player, uh, Octavio. It's going to follow the Lord in baptism. And so if you want to be a part of that, just let us know next Sunday or the following Sunday. We'd love uh, to be a part of you obeying the Lord in believer's baptism. Well, uh, what a great morning it has been as we have remembered the kind of God that we serve and the kind of promises that he offers. Sometimes life is not easy and we need to be reminded of that. About 27 years ago or so, 27, 28 years ago, uh, I have visited my paternal grandmother in uh, Monterey, Mexico. It was the last time I, I was able to talk to her. She was in a nursing home and she was not doing well and she, she didn't want to be there. So it was a very difficult thing for me to visit with her and to, and to hear her, her pain and, and her struggle and, uh, and then to leave and, and think about her for the next several days and weeks. And it wasn't long after that that we got the news that, that she had passed away. And, and so uh, I, with my family, directed myself to, to make the trip from Corpus Christi, which was where we were living at that time, uh, to Monterey, Mexico. And, uh, and, and Monica stayed back uh, with our oldest uh, son. We only had one son at that time, Joshua was uh, really young and uh, couldn't travel. And Monica was pregnant with a second child that was on the way and we were excited about that. And so as my brothers, my siblings and the rest of my extended family went and, and we were at the funeral, there was grief as, as is normal when we lose a loved one. And I thought about my grandmother. I thought about that last time that I got to talk to her and and how difficult that was. But then I, I try to remember the good times. I try to remember the times when she was, she was strong and vigorous and, and, a, and a woman that was assertive and, and didn't, wasn't afraid to give her opinion and, and make herself known and just thankful for the times that I got to spend with her and, and to be with her. But the funeral had just ended when I received a phone call uh, and I talked to my wife and she informed me that she had miscarried the baby. And it was a difficult moment, as you can imagine, because I wondered how my wife was feeling as she was having to deal with that by herself back home. And I was out of town trying to grieve and have closure in, in the life of a woman who had lived a long life. And then now thinking about the life of a little one that didn't really get a chance to start his or her life. And it was in those moments that, that you really have to depend on the promises of God, that you have really have to depend on, on the grace of God. As I drove back to Corpus Christi and sought to be with my wife to comfort her and, and to be with her in, in our grief, we, we found comfort in the Lord. And I'm reminded that sometimes when it rains, it pours. That sometimes tragedies come back to back. That sometimes things don't turn out the way that we thought they would turn out. 
In fact, sometimes our dreams are shattered. Sometimes our hopes are crushed. And we find ourselves in, with broken hearts. There's a young man in the Bible who had dreams, dreams of a bright future, who had dreams of, of purpose and fulfillment. But those dreams seem to be shattered, stunted. We read about him, it's a familiar story in the book of Genesis chapter 37. The writer of Genesis begins to unfold this story of a young man and when we get to verse five at the beginning of this narrative, it reads, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Joseph had a dream. The writer of Genesis is telling us the story of this young man. He was 17 years old. He was the 11th of 12, born to his father. He was a man, a young man full of, of vigor and, and of energy. He had idealism as he, as he would go out to the fields where his brothers were caring for his father's cattle. He, he observed, he watched carefully and, and he noticed that things were not quite the way they should be. And as he reflected on, on his role, as he reflected on his place in the family, he, he made a decision that, that he would not be like his brothers, that he would rise to the occasion. That, that, that he would care well for his father's cattle, that, that he would be a son per excellence because he loved his father and, and he wanted to do things right. He, he owned that idealism and he wanted to be part of that solution. I love young people with idealism. They have a keen sense for pointing out all the things that we do wrong. They, they have this energy about them that wants to fix things and that wants to make things right. And I like that because they want to change. They want to change the situation. They want to change the world sometimes. And we need people like that. We need young people with dreams. We need young people with ideals. We need young people who believe in, in the promise of a bright future. Joseph's assertiveness and his confidence was boosted by his father's love. The Bible tells us that his father loved him. In fact, he loved him more than all his other sons. And uh, he was a favorite. In fact, he was so favored by his father that he bought him a designer robe. Or made him a designer robe. I don't know uh, what, what it might be. Maybe it was Jacob Dior or something, you know. But he gives him this robe that, that's a symbol of, of his favor on his son. It's a symbol of his love for him. It's nice to get special treatment when you're the recipient of it. You know, when, when, when your parents spoil you or your grandparents spoil you, when, when you're the teacher's pet, when you get favorite, favorite treatment at work, it's nice if you're the recipient, it, it makes you feel good, makes you feel special. It makes you feel of all the things that you can do and all the things you can get away with, right? But, but we know that getting favorite treatment doesn't always work in our favor, don't we? 
Getting favorite treatment is, is not always a good thing in the long run. Joseph's brothers resented the special treatment that he got. And as I, I can imagine as, as Joseph would wear his designer robe around the house that they would watch with contempt as he pranced around, as he sat at the table and, and his father would look at him with, with such love and, and they felt like he's never looked at me like that. He, he's never cared for me like that. He's never said those kinds of things to me. And the resentment continued to grow. Their envy got bigger. One night, Joseph had a dream. He, he dreamt that that he and his brothers were gathering sheaves of grain. And his sheaf of grain stood upright, but his brother's sheaves of grain bowed down to his sheaf of grain. It was evident that this dream had something to do with his having prominence over his brothers at some point. And then he had a second dream. The second dream wasn't just about 11 sheaves of grain bowing to him, but it was about the moon and the stars and, and the sun bowing, 11 stars bowing to him. Wow, this is just getting bigger and bigger. Not only is Joseph now realizing that, that he might have prominence over his brothers, but even over his father and mother. The implication of, of the dream is, is evident and we ask ourselves, did, did Joseph have illusions of grandeur? Was he a narcissistic young man that was self-absorbed? What kind of dreams are these? Or was it God revealing his plan for his life? Were, were these dreams authored by God for Joseph? See, I believe that God calls us with a purpose. I believe that God calls individuals and he gives us promises, promises for our future. I believe that God has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. I remember when I was studying for my, for my PhD at Dallas Baptist University, I spent a lot of time in the library, uh, more time than you could ever imagine. And I remember going up the stairs to the second and third floor of the library and on the landing, on the wall, there was this great scripture that was in big letters. Every time I went up and every time I came down, I would see it. And it was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And believe me, when you're in the midst of doctoral studies and there's more red ink on your paper than there is black ink, you need to remember that. That there is a future beyond this. It's good to remember the promises of God. Sometimes you need to hear those words just to get through the day. Sometimes you need to hear that God has a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, just to get through this season of your life. Now, we cannot blame Joseph for, for his father's love. That wasn't his fault. His father loved him above the others. We can't blame him for the dreams that God gave him. But I think we can all agree that it wasn't a good idea to tell his brothers about it. 
I don't know if Joseph was just naive. He was clueless that his brothers had grown to resent him. Or maybe he was filled with this youthful arrogance. You know, that happens when you're, when you're the teacher's pet. That, that happens when you're the spoiled baby in the house. You, you kind of flaunt it a little bit, don't you? I'm not sure what Joseph's motives are, but we do read here that he tells his brothers his dreams and the implication of the dreams are obvious to them. And the more he talks, the more he, he tells of his dream, the angrier they become, the more that he basks in the promise of God for his life, the more hatred they have for him. Verse five again, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. You know, when we have dreams and promises from God, there's always somebody that's not happy about it. So the next time that, that Joseph, that Jacob sent Joseph to the fields to, to check on his brothers, his brothers had been plotting against him. They'd been plotting to, to kill him. If they could just get rid of this dreamer, they wouldn't have to hear about his dreams. If they could just get rid of this arrogant young man, they wouldn't have to see this hateful designer robe, this fancy coat that reminded them of his favorite treatment. And that's where anger and bitterness always lead, don't they? They, they lead to, to alienation. They, they lead to us wanting to push people away from us. They, they lead even to desires of murder to eliminating the person that we don't like. We can just get rid of them. We can just cancel them, delete them, unfriend them. You know, there's been a lot of talk about social media and the algorithms that they produce to cause conflict and anger and hatred. And, and, and people get caught in that. And, and, and we get caught up in this us and them mentality. And and it's like we're bent to have an enemy. Jealousy and, and envy and hatred are not new. They didn't start out in, in your workplace. They didn't start out in your school. They didn't start with the pandemic. They didn't start with Facebook. It, it's an old thing. I, I was talking to one of our former members here at Calvary and her mother passed away this summer and so she's been going through her things uh, in her mother's house and just remembering the past and, and just kind of digging up some family history and so she began to share this history with me and she went back as, as, as early as the 1800s and she told me about uh, an ancestor of her by, by the name of John Cartwright Dunn who uh, was born in West Virginia but at 12 years old, he was orphaned. So here's this young man, 12 years old, without a mom or a dad or any way to have sustenance, without a place. And the only thing that he can do is to apprentice himself to a trade so that perhaps he can work with his hands. And so he does that. You can imagine the struggle of the 12-year-old to, to even think of the grief of losing his parents and, and having to fend for himself, but his fellow apprentices grow jealous of him and they beat him badly. 
tragedy upon tragedy. And some people have a little pity on him and they help him move out of Virginia to Alabama. And he goes there and he, he tries to get a new start. Eventually, Lisa, who is telling me this story, says the Lord was leading him to Texas. So he came to Texas and he settled in North Texas, a place that was originally called Dunville after his last name, but is now called Grapevine. And as he settled there with other families, uh, he encouraged his old friend from out of state to come because he said, Texas is great. It's filled with opportunity and, uh, and, and we can establish a Baptist church here. And, and, and his name was Rufus Burleson. And then he moved to Texas too. And they planted the Lonesome Dove Baptist Church. It's one of the oldest churches in Texas, 170 years old. And then part of his family settled what, what is Grapevine now. And then they came to Bee County and Corpus Christi and then Donna and La Feria and settled in different parts as the family grew. But you go back to that 12-year-old who was orphaned and beaten. And you remember that hatred and jealousy are not new. We shouldn't be surprised by it. Don't be caught off guard when people try to trip you. Don't be caught off guard when people are angry or envy you. That's nothing new. Just make sure you're not the one hating. Just make sure you're not the one tripping others up. It happens, it happens and it has happened. So Joseph's brothers did that. They took Joseph, they stripped him of this beloved robe of his and they threw him in a dry well. Their intention was to kill him, to get rid of him once and for all. But the oldest brother Reuben was afraid of doing that. He, he didn't want to hurt his father's heart. And, and so he said, don't kill him, just put him in the ditch and leave him there. Reuben's intention was to rescue him later. And so as the day went before Reuben could get back to rescue his younger brother Judah and the other brothers had decided that they would sell him. There was a caravan of Ishmaelites that were passing through. And they thought, you know, better than kill him, let's sell him. We could make a little money. So they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. One day, Joseph finds himself loved and pampered by his father. And the next day, he sold to foreigners by his brothers. One night, he's having a dream of promise and fulfillment. And the next day he wakes up in a foreign land, away from his dad, away from his home, away from what everything that is familiar to him. What happened to the dreams? What happened to the promise? What happened to God's plan? Sometimes we ask ourselves those questions, don't we? We find ourselves at a point where, where we're in the wilderness and there is no sight of the promised land. 
we find ourselves crushed, perplexed, maybe confused. What happened? How did we get here? When Joseph arrived in Egypt, there was a man by the name of Potiphar. He was one of Pharaoh's officials and, and he bought Joseph to be his servant. So now Joseph finds himself in this foreigner's home, being a servant when, when he was the son of a wealthy man back home. But, but read what the scripture says about his experience there in chapter 39 of Genesis, verse two. It, it reads like this, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Wow, wow. When, when things seem to get really bad, God shows up. God was with him. That's the kind of God that Joseph had. Even in his captivity, the Lord made him prosper. Even in a strange land, in a strange home, God blessed him. His dreams may not have come true yet, but God had not forgotten him. God had not forsaken him. And that's our God too. That's your God and my God. When everything around us doesn't make sense, he sustains us. When everyone seems to be against us, he is for us. Sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes as soon as we get that reminder, it seems like we're going into another storm. Sometimes we, we, we go from one storm and, and we seem to be getting out and we go right into the next one. And that's what happened to Joseph. Joseph was here. God had, in his captivity, prospered him and, 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 and allowed him to, to, to rise to the top of confidence and trust. But, but Potiphar's wife, oh boy, she wanted to seduce Joseph. And Joseph knew, I'm here in this position because of God's grace. God has not forgotten me. God has not forsaken me. How could I ever sin against him by sleeping with my master's wife? How could I ever betray the trust that Potiphar has, has placed on me by, by being unfaithful, by committing adultery with his wife? Of course not. So, so Joseph refuses. Potiphar's wife was persistent. She continued to insist. She continued to try to seduce him and, and he continued to say no. And, and one day when they were all alone and Joseph was close by, she, she grabbed his coat and, and tried to forcibly seduce him. And, and Joseph did the smartest thing that, that a man in that situation should do. He, he ran. He ran. 
But he left his coat behind. And when she found herself humiliated and rejected, when, when she didn't get her way, she, she called one of her servants and she said, this Joseph servant tried to, to sleep with me. And when I screamed, he ran away and I have his robe as evidence. A lie, a false accusation against someone who tried to do the, the right thing over and over again. So when Potiphar gets home and he hears about it, he's furious. He's furious with Joseph. How could Joseph betray him like that? So he throws him in prison. Now, suffering the consequences of wrong decisions is hard sometimes. But suffering unjustly when you haven't done anything wrong, it's even harder. It's awful. It's awful to suffer when you haven't done anything wrong. Joseph might have asked himself, what else could go wrong? My brother sold me. I was brought to a foreign land. God raised me in my own captivity and now this woman accuses me falsely and I'm thrown in prison. Some of you may know what it's like to come out of a storm and go into another storm. Sometimes it feels like just when you're getting up, you get knocked down again. Haiti has been in our minds and hearts lately, not too long ago, that the president was assassinated and they had an earthquake. This is one of the poorest countries in the world. Had an earthquake that, that took a lot of buildings and lives and sustenance. And then a storm came and brought floods and disaster. As if the pandemic hadn't been enough. And here... You, you find people who are destitute, people who are discouraged, people who are experiencing loss. What else can go wrong? A couple of Sundays ago, a sister church, First Baptist Church Port-au-Prince in Haiti, was having worship like we're having right now. And some armed men came to the church and tried to kidnap a, a deacon's wife. And as he was trying to prevent that, they shot him and he later died. They kidnapped her. She's been released since then. But I can't imagine the heartache of that wife, of having gone through that traumatic experience, and having lost her husband senselessly. I can't imagine what, what our brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church Port-au-Prince are, are feeling right now as they are in worship knowing that at any moment people can walk in and create that kind of havoc. It breaks your heart. And that's the way Joseph's heart must have been. No loved ones around him. No friends to encourage him. No countrymen to defend him. He finds himself in prison not knowing what's next not understanding what has happened. And the story continues in Genesis 39, latter part of verse 20. It reads like this, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care 
because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. <laughs> People try to knock him down, but God keeps on lifting him up. The world seems to be against him, but the one who is in him is greater than he that is in the world. That's our God. You can't keep Jesus in the grave and you can't keep Jesus' people down either. We might get knocked down. We might trip up. We might get discouraged. But there is one who rose from the dead that raises us up too. Today, God reminds us in the midst of adversity that he is present. In the midst of trials, he walks with you. In the wilderness, he's the column, that cloud by day and the column of fire by night. In the valley of the shadow of death, he's the good shepherd whose rod and staff comfort you. In the fiery furnace, he's the fourth man who makes sure that not one of your hairs will get burned. In the den of lions, he's the one that shuts the mouths of the lions so that they will not harm you. In the captivity and in exile, he's the one that raises us to places of influence like he did Joseph. Listen, you may not have arrived in the promised land yet, but he is with you. You may not have seen the dreams that God gave you fulfilled yet, but he has not forgotten you. You are not forsaken. While Joseph was in prison, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker were thrown in prison as well. They each had a dream that they couldn't understand or interpret and so Joseph offered to, to do so and when they told the dream, Joseph interprets it for them. The good news for the cupbearer is that in three days he would be back in Pharaoh's court serving him his wine. Bad news for the baker is that he would get executed in the same amount of time. But Joseph tells the chief cupbearer, when you were in Pharaoh's court, remember me. Remember who helped you here. Remember who gave you the good news. Advocate for me before Pharaoh so that maybe I can be taken out of prison. The cupbearer did come out. He did return to Pharaoh's court. But he forgot about Joseph. He forgot about Joseph. Now what happened? What happened to Joseph? Did he stay in prison? What happened to his brothers and his father? Did those dreams of the sheaves of grain and the stars and the moon ever come true? You need to come next Sunday to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> we will tell it then. But so far, when we look at Joseph's life, we see that God's faithful hand sustains him. And when everything and everyone seemed to work against him, God was there. And here's something for you to take with you. God's faithful hand sustains us even when everything and everyone seems to work against us. I hope you believe that. I simply want to say to you today that if God has given you a dream, if God has given you a promise, hold on to it. Listen, your situation does not cancel God's plans. 
Your circumstances do not cancel the promise that he has for your life. Hold on to God's promise and to his plan for your life, even when it seems impossible. And I'll tell you why it's possible. Because long after Joseph died, there was another man who came on the scene. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. He lived a life that pleased his father. He loved his father and his father loved him. He did all the right things, but he suffered unjustly. In fact, he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. And he was crucified. And on that cross, he suffered the kind of suffering that no one should ever have to suffer. Physically and emotionally and spiritually. And the reason he died on the cross was not because he was a victim, but it's because he was a victor over sin. He carried your sins and he carried my sins. He carried your pain and he carried your suffering. And they buried him in a tomb, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And he rose because he has power over death and over sin. And that's the savior that you and I can trust. It's not one who is estranged to our pain, not one who is estranged to our suffering, but one who has suffered and bled, but has been victorious over it. And so today, you can trust him. Sometimes, life knocks us down. There's nursery rhyme that you might be familiar with. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Sometimes we fall or we get knocked down and our dreams are shattered and the pieces are scattered and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put us back together again. But the king can. The king can. He can take the pieces and put them together and make something more beautiful than when he started with. So today, bring your broken pieces to him. Bring your shattered dreams. Bring your dash hopes. He cares. He can. He will. He loves you. And he is faithful. Would you stand with me? Father, I want to thank you today for Joseph's story. Thank you because you're the God who gives us dreams. And even when life seems to want to steal the dreams from us, when people hate and trip us, when the enemy tries to steal our hope, thank you that you remain faithful, you stay with us. And today, Father, as, as broken people from broken families in a broken world, in a broken society, we come to you and we bring our shattered dreams, our pieces, and we want to trust you with them. We surrender them to you. Maybe there's someone here today, Lord, that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, who's never said, I, I receive the forgiveness that he gives me at the cross, and I receive the power for a new life that he gives me in the empty tomb. But maybe today is the day that individual here in person or online will pray a prayer that says, I can't do it anymore. 
I have failed. I'm a sinner. But I know you love me. I receive the forgiveness. By faith, I received your gift of eternal life and a victory over death and sin. I want to be your child. I want to be secure. Father, those that are praying that prayer right now, I know you'll hear it and you'll answer it. And the rest of us, whatever brokenness there is in our lives, help us to surrender to you, to lay it down at your feet and trust you. Remove our anxiety, remove our fear, heal our grief and our pain, and remind us of who you are and what you can do as we trust you, as we release right now. We're going to sing a song, and as we sing, I want to invite you, if you want to come to the front and kneel down and bring whatever you need to bring to the Lord, feel free to do it. Or maybe you just want to stay where you are and sit down and pray, or you want to sing. But this is a moment where you get to respond. This is a moment where you get to trust God who loves you. Make a commitment. Surrender it. Give your life to Jesus right now.